today we're going to talk about endurance. We've seen a little bit of this infinity signal lately, not just from the chorus leader, but from some of the concepts that we've covered in the, in this, in the talks of late. But I want to talk a little bit about endurance today. We made it. We made it through another week. We did it. We're back here again at the Lord's feet, asking him to help us to get through next week. It's endurance. It's what, it's what we do. Sometimes you don't realize that that's actually what you've got. It's actually what we're doing. Endurance, and in the Greek word that's used in the New Testament is hopomino. There you go, for you Greek scholars out there. And it means to persevere. We kind of know that. That's the same as English. It means to remain, to not get lost, to stay. And it means to have fortitude, to have a bit of guts. And that's you guys. That's us. We've got a bit of guts about life now. Bring it on. Because we're looking to bigger and better things. Right. To the quiz. Let's go. E, hit the next, hit the slide. I hope this is it. Okay, we've got three ladies there. Can anyone name any one of those three faint except for you at the back? Hand down. Someone someone knows who they are? Anyone? Anyone? Come on, these are very, very famous New Zealanders. Why why huh? No. She's quite famous. Why none of these ladies are on the twenty dollar bill? I will never know. We don't know who they are? Okay. I'm going to tell you who they are. Here we go. The lady on my far right, her name is Kim Allen. Kimmy, to her mates. That's, that's not from Wikipedia, I just made that up. She lives in a place called Tuako, which is the first town out of Auckland, out of the Auckland barrier, just below Pukukoe. Boom, you hit this little town called... Never even knew it was there myself, quietly. I've probably driven through it a thousand times, but didn't know. she's from there. I just want to read you a little bit about her story. She made an attempt in 2012 at breaking the 486-kilometer continuous running record set by American Pam Reed, and she failed. She didn't do it. She ran for 85 hours straight. And after suffering frightening hallucinations and losing all of her toenails, I don't know what's worse. Yeah, that's what she did. And if that wasn't impressive enough, she tried it again the next year and she succeeded. She ran 499Ks in just over 86 hours. Without sleep, this is continuous. She was 47 years old when she broke that record and she doesn't even like running. (laughs) She's not even a runner. That's not even what she likes doing. But she did it as a means to challenge her own physical and mental endurance. She was a, a former professional jockey and she was inspired to push her limits when she suffered a crippling leg break in 2003 when she got trampled by a horse. So here's a lady who's endured a lot of things in her life and she chose to endure some other things in this form of what she might call sport. So she's famous. She's a world beater, this lady. 
She knows what it means to endurance. She knows what endurance means. Lady in the middle, anyone know where she's from? She's from a little place called Tikawiti in King Country. And her name is Kim Chambers. And if you've got Netflix at home, you can go home tonight and watch Kim Swims. And it's all about her. And in 2007, she was diagnosed with, here you go, acute cup, oh, acute compartment syndrome. I've got no idea what that means, but she was 30 minutes from losing her leg. She was a ballet dancer. She loved the gym. She was a very active lady. She had an operation uh, to remove some stuff and do all sorts of stuff on her leg, and they almost had to cut it off. And they told her that she would never walk again unaided. She would need some sort of aid to walk. She spent the next two years in therapy learning how to walk again, and she decided that she might start swimming just to, to help her out. So she's not a swimmer. And if you watch her little documentary, she keeps saying, I'm not a swimmer. But she is one of the only women to ever complete the Ocean 7. Anyone knows? Anyone had a crack at the Ocean 7? The Cook Strait is part of it. Seven great straits in the world. I'm not going to name them all. They swim them all. She's done them all. And in 2015, she was the first woman in this planet to swim 48 k's from the Farallon Islands to the Golden Gate Bridge in 17 hours and 12 minutes nonstop. I've watched the documentary, and at about six hours, she's in excruciating pain, and then she just decides to go on for another 11 hours against the sharks, the great whites that were there, the tides, everything. Unbelievable. She's quite, I quite like this lady. She's, her story is quite inspirational. Lately, I've been using it in my own life. Played soccer the other day. Sprained my ankle. The kids were watching. Couldn't let them down. And I thought, if she can swim for 17 hours, I'm playing with a sprained ankle. So I carried on. Idiot. <laughs> then I couldn't play next week or walk for the next week. But that's okay. <laughs> so be careful. Now this last lady here, she is probably one of the most famous New Zealand women that nobody knows about. Her nickname is the White Mouse. Does anyone know who she is? Yes, her name is Nancy Drake, and she was born in Roseneath, Wellington, in 1912. She had a pretty rough childhood. Oh, better careful how I put that. She moved to Australia when she was young. <laughs> that wasn't the rough part. And then her dad um, left the family high and dry. He left and said, oh, I'm just going back to New Zealand for a minute, and never came back and sold the house from underneath them. One day someone rolled up and went, duk, 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 we've bought the house, get out. So she had this pretty average um, uh, upbringing. And then one of her New Zealand rel relatives sent her 200 bucks and said, go and do something with your life. So she moved to Europe and uh, she loved it over there. And um, in 1939, she got married to this lovely Frenchman, Jean-Pierre. No, I don't know what his name was, but he was a lovely Frenchman. Six months, six months after they got married, <laughs> Germany invades France. <laughs> There you go. She's back from honeymoon, and then they're taken over. And uh, she starts to work with the French resistance, as, as our sisters said before. And as she's well documented of being interrogated by all sorts of different groups at the time, because France was a really melting pot in World War II. She was interrogated. She never broke. All she did 
is, is she lived this covert life where she just changed her appearance and ducked in and out across the border. Um, she was the number one wanted person on the Gestapo's wanted list. She was number one. And uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't get her, and she, oh, there's some amazing stories and hardships that she endured, um, things that we can only, only imagine. But she endured those things, and she escaped. Uh, she got captured at one stage, and she escaped out of a, out of a prison and uh, across the Pyrenees and out of France and got back to England. Um, she's been awarded with all sorts of awesome things, and she went on to live a life and died in 2011. Um, she lived a full life and she endured a lot. You can read a lot of, about her, but uh, she was very purposed and she was um, one of the things that um, they say about her is she never held any resentment. She probably had every reason to, but she was a very peaceful lady, that's what they say. Very famous lady in, in New Zealand history. So there you go, there's three people that you might not have ever met before, all have endured different things. Um, but all know what it means to endure. Hit, hit the thing, E. Anyone know who that lady is? Some of us do. That's Annie Sue Williams from Adelaide, from the Vogue Fellowship. She is the world record holder for the longest surviving dialysis patient in the world. She has been on dialysis for 50 years this year. She's the world record holder. Generally, um, you you last about a decade on dialysis and then everything starts giving up, they reckon. That's on average. People probably last longer than that. 50 years. No one's even come close to that. And uh, she's a sister in the Lord. She's got a wonderful testimony. When she was 16 years old, she had both her kidneys removed in 1969. Dialysis was, was a new thing. Um, it wasn't like it is today. Um, and they had to select a very, I think it was about six people, don't quote me, it was a very small number of people to go on to dialysis in South Australia. And they said that she wasn't one. They didn't think she could handle it. They didn't think she'd be able to endure dialysis. Back then, um, uh, you had to go on dialysis um, twice a week for 14 hours. Uh, now... Um, you you go three times a week for four hours. Now, that's tough enough as it is just to endure life like that. Um, she came to the Lord, of course, and, and, and is a sister in the Lord, and she's one of the most happiest ladies you'll ever met. She's at every meeting. She's running up and down. the. She doesn't Her run is not our run, but she just bops around the vogue like um, she's just part of the furniture. She's a wonderful sister. About two years ago, her, her loving husband, Roger, who, who uh, married her in that state and became her carer and her, and, her, and her lover, and he was hit by a bus two years ago and died. And now the saints look after her. She has to go to dialysis three times a week, and the saints pick her up and take her there, pick her, but take her back home. And just recently, just I'm adding this in a little bit, they just recently had a... a um, this is taken, oh, this is actually taken in the hospital, but they had a, a, a morning tea for all the hospital staff and the doctors that she'd worked with over the 50 years at the fellowship. And it was a really good time where um, 
uh, Pastor Steve Harvey got to give up and talk about what the Lord does in people's life, and she was there with all of the kidney transplant specialists and these guys and all these highfalutin dudes that do all sorts of amazing things, and she just gives all the glory to the Lord. She's endured a lot in her life, but you would not know her story from the way that she lives her life. And uh, she's a great example to us of endurance. And just another couple of little things about dialysis. I didn't know a lot about dialysis myself. I've never been on it. Most of us probably never have and probably never will. But in order to be on dialysis, you have to keep a very, very, very strict diet. You have to be very disciplined. You can only have 600 mils of fluid a day in total. That's your food consumption, what you drink, 600, otherwise you can go into cardiac arrest because your your blood gets too thin and you, I don't know all the details, talk to someone who does, but that's the deal. You can't have a lot of potassium, so your diet's very restricted. Bananas are off the menu. Um, and there's all these other things, the way your body works because of the fact you don't have kidneys to take out all the bits and pieces and rubbish in your blood. So one of the things that ends up, the doctors were saying, one of the things that ends up being, I guess, um, or not prolonging people on dialysis is they can't keep to this. They can't, they can't do it. So a lot of people over time, she's done it for 50 years. And the thing, um, I'll tell you something in a minute, but she was asked, um, have you ever missed a dialysis? She said, I've never missed a dialysis in 50 years because life is only as long as your next dialysis. You don't show up, you die. She's got no kidneys, so that's it. She hasn't got one to kind of help out. She's got none. So just an amazing story of physical and mental endurance. Fantastic. And obviously our sister has the Lord and the Holy Spirit in her life, so she has an unfair advantage. But just a wonderful example for us. E, hit it. Sweet. Just while I'm here, I just wanted to plug these. Who knows what a podcast is? Oh, yes. Oh, excellent. Podcast. Who's subscribed to these bad boys? Get in amongst it. Revival on the air. A young, a young brother. He's older than me. He's super young. Ben Campbell. He, um, he's involved in that for his work. And he's, he started to do a whole lot of podcasts with people's testimonies. Sue's testimony is one of those. Get on there. Listen to it. Fantastic testimonies recently from Pastor John and Sister Janet. You can go, there's just, it's unbelievable. And it's on Spotify. It's, a, it, oh, it's awesome. Get into it. The other one, Podcast Revival, is a selection of talks from across our English speaking fellowships. There are some awesome encouragement from pastors and brothers around the world about different topics. Um, I just listened to a few just in the last few weeks. One is about, from Pastor William, about, um, the story of Jonah, what a talk. Go and read it, go and listen to it. You don't have to do any reading, just listen. It's easy man's reading. Um, uh, what's the other one? Oh, Pastor Lee Finney, fantastic talk. Old keys don't open new doors. Fantastic, get into it. If you don't know how to get onto these things, come and see me. I'm happy to sit with you and put on your phone or do whatever, but this is worth its weight in gold. When we talk about endurance, we need every tool and we need everything that we can possibly grab to help us in this world today. And endurance is really, really important. And we're going to look at some scriptures now. Matthew 24. 
We're coming to the end tonight of our trilogy of signs, wonders and miracles. Matthew 24. Just hit the next one, eh? when just whenever. It talks about the last days. It's got all sorts of things in there. And then in verse 9 it says this, just for some happy reading. It says, Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all my nations for my name's sake. Awesome. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Ah, that's awesome. Verse 12, And because iniquity or lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And here's the kicker. But he or she, they that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I read that this week and thought, oh, I better stop cruising. I've got to endure. I've got to push through some stuff. I've got to sort some things out. I've got to get myself ready. Gives a list of whole lot of things that uh, don't sound all that appetizing. But Jesus' words here to us is those that endure, are they are the ones that will remain. They are the ones who will be saved. And that's us. So Jesus is saying to us here, keep on going. Don't give up. Don't give up. He said, I know it's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. But don't give up. I was thinking when I read this, I thought, oh, yeah, hang on a minute. What have I done in my life? Oh, yeah, I'm in spirit-filled 32 years. 32 years. I thought, man, that's way more than half my life. And then I started to think about all the things that I've gone through, many of you'd have no idea about. God knows. Things that I've had to endure, temptations, hard times. Persecution. All sorts of things. And I thought, am I done? Have I had enough? Am I just going to go, you know what, I'm spirit-filled, so what? Or am I going to endure? And it was kind of a bit of a sobering thought because I thought, wow, it's those that endure. It's those that remain, that persevere, that have a bit of fight in the belly, they're the ones that are going to be saved. By course, not those who give up. And I thought, I don't want to give up. I could. God says, it's your choice. If you want to walk away, God says, the door's that way. If you want to go, I'm not going to keep you here. I'm not going to keep you with me. He said, I'm here for you, but you have to want to endure. And I just thought, yeah, that's that's it. I want it. You know, we come here this week, and we have hung in there this week. There might have been things in your life that might have just tipped you over a bit. Oh, hang on. But you hung in. It might have been your family giving you some beef. 
It might have been someone in the fellowship having a crack at you. That's when the tough skin comes in, doesn't it? It could have been your workplace. It could have been your kids. It could have been the dodgy... Um, it's funny, uh, um, they're not here today, so that's fantastic, but my in-laws have been telling us about some stories about their neighbour. Oh, it's a crack-up, he's a shocker. <laughs> Ask him when they come back. Say, oh, I heard you haven't been very nice to your neighbour. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but it might be your neighbour. Could be anyone. Could be anything. Could be your health. Could be whatever. But we have been called to endure. That's what Jesus asked us to do. And only the tough survive. Only those who have hardened their minds and set their faces like flint and set them on the Lord. They're the ones that will endure. So I want to look at a couple of things. Maybe less than a couple of things now. Um, Hebrews 12. We're going to rip through some scriptures. I'm going to rip through a few. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience, with endurance, the race that is set before us. There is a track, a life path, if you will, that has been set before you until the coming of Jesus Christ. It's actually before you. We can't see it. God knows what it is. Jesus Christ has already gone and made a way for us, but it's been put before us, and we have to choose. Do we want it? Is there anything that's going to tip us up? And our answer is no way. We're hanging in. It goes on, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We have a wonderful example in Jesus Christ. All the things that we read about before in, in, in Matthew 24, Jesus took it all upon himself. He's been there. He worked through it. For who, um, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endures such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. It's an encouragement there. It's saying don't be weary in your mind. Be tough as nails for the Lord. Meek and weak is not part of a Christian's makeup. I was trying to think of something rhyming. Tough and stuff. I've got nothing, but just be tough. You're going to have to grit your teeth and get into it and roll the sleeves up, get stuck into some prayer, get some calluses on your knees, some calluses on your fingers going through the Word, some late nights studying the Word. You're going to have to put some hard yards in. Endurance is not an easy thing. But we've got a wonderful Savior that understands these things and has gone through it with us and for us. Hebrews three and verse uh, Hebrews three and verse twelve. It says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you by the harden uh, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin or separation from God. 
For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Are you as excited today as you were when you first received the Holy Spirit? Are you as motivated today as you were when you first received the Holy Spirit? When you first started and knew who God was? I would dare say the answer is yes. Otherwise it would be pretty hard to keep going, wouldn't it? <laughs> just fade away. and It's just the phase I went through. You hear that a lot. No. This is something we've set our, our hearts on. And our confidence is steadfast unto the end because Jesus said that's the way it's got to be. I think that's all I want to read. That's all I want to read. Let's move on. So I want us to look now at a couple of things about that the Lord actually asks us to endure. There are some specific couple of things. There's probably there is some more, but I'm just only going to look at two. Let's go to Hebrews. We're still in Hebrews. It's like, wow, this book is all about being tough and hanging in there, isn't it? Book of Faith, chapter eleven. It's all about hanging in there. We just read Hebrews 3. If you want to go back for homework and do a bit of, bit of reading on that, it goes through and it talks about, um, it talks about the provocation, which is about, uh, the, the, the 40, 40 years in, in, in the wilderness for, for, for the old people, as they would have described them as, as for our, uh, for our, uh, forefathers. And it gives a lot of example around how that was tough and how it didn't necessarily need to be, but we still have to push through. It's wonderful stuff. Anyway, uh, um, Hebrews 12 and verse 5. Here's one thing we're asked to endure. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speakest unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. We're going to have to endure a little bit of a little tap on the rump. Just a little. I'll just let you know he's there. He knows he's watching your life. Clip round the ear, just like your parents used to do when you used to sit in front of them at the movie theater or on the bus or somewhere, and they used to go, saw that. It's a little bit the same. God sees your life. He knows the areas that he wants you to to uh, uh, that that could potentially be weaknesses for you, and he will find a way. We've been talking it a bit a bit lately in the house meetings about how this is where the Lord kind of talks to us and he gets personal with us. You ever think about that? God gets personal with us in the spiritual gifts and he starts searching our hearts and going, Sash, this is what you need. This is this is the area that I need you just to just to sharpen up on. Because I don't want you getting caught out. You've got to endure, Sash. So you've got to learn this. You've got to know how to do this. So it goes on, it says, For whom the Lord loves, he lets away with blue murder. Huh. For whom the Lord loves, he doesn't discipline. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receives. <laughs> and this is, it's a great thing, we know that. People that have been in the Lord for a long time and hung in there, they realize, yeah, the chastening of the Lord, boy, it's a lifesaver. Whoa. Here, and this is here, verse 7. 
if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? And, and what he's trying to get at here is, I've got a couple of sons. And I have to deal with my sons from time to time. And they have to endure me. And so, as a parent, you love your children and you see some things maybe in their life, some lessons that you know that if they don't learn now, the world's going to eat them up and spit them out and have them for breakfast. And we're like, we're going to teach them now because we love them. This might be hard. This might be a hard lesson for you to learn. But we need you to learn this lesson. That's certainly my experience of being a child as well. And many of us, our parents loved us, that they taught us, and they, and they disciplined us so that we would learn. And then often when you do the wrong thing and you sort of get into your son or your daughter as it, as it, as it is, and you teach them a lesson, and then you bring them back, oh, yeah. And that's what God does with us. He says, there's just this little area of your life, I've seen it, I'm the author of life, it's not right, you need to deal with it, here's my advice, here's my discipline if that's required, what are you going to do with it? Oh, he's learnt, oh beautiful, yes! And that's how God deals with us. He's not a weak father. He's not a father that says one thing and does another. He's not a father that says, "Ah, I won't worry about that. I'll just let that one go through to the keeper. He picks up on it. He cares. So that's what it's saying. When we go through chastening, it's because God loves us. It goes on and says, But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you not a legitimate members of the family. <laughs> That's what that word means, kids. It's okay. Don't panic. It's all right. It means you're not legitimately part of the family. It says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which correct us, and we gave them reverence. We gave them respect. Shall we not much rather be in subject, subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? <laughs> it's, he puts it well, way better than me. For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure or in their own way, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now so chastening for the present seems to, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. There is a wonderful benefit from the teachings of God. It's all, sometimes it's hard to swallow. Sometimes it's tough to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I did the wrong thing. But in the Lord, we're about ownership. We own our walk with the Lord. We own our relationship with the Father. And when he tells us something, we face up to it and we, we get it right. We don't slink away in the background and, and try and get people on our side to say that we're doing the right thing or, or find the answer somewhere else. We square up. We square up and we judge ourselves so that we won't be judged in the final judgment because we love our Father, because we respect Him, 
So there's this wonderful passage here where it's saying, realize that God loves you and he's going to deal with you. He's going to teach you. He's going to help you that you're going to live. And then it says this, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest they, uh, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without, without, man, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, I love that passage because it says, actually, I've got to do something. It says, I've got to lift up my dormant hands. I'm not doing anything. I've got to start taking steps in the right direction. I've got to be the good man that loves the steps of the Lord and walks in the way in which he's ordered it. I've got to do that. And when that happens, we see miracles, signs, wonders in our own life through our attitude and our emotional state and our mental and our physical state. We see miracles and signs and wonders in our own life because we accept the advice that God has given us. And so I wrote this down here because when I, when I read all this stuff, I just apply it to me and go, okay, well, so what's that saying to me? Get over it. <laughs> God loves you. These things are going to happen. Now get over it. Okay, I get it, Lord. Take his advice. Apply it in your life. That's what that means. Now, for us, um, you look in the world today, no one likes advice. I don't know many people that go, come on, just give me some advice. People just, what? People. people, But people love to give it. We live in a generation now where every TV show has got a judgment panel. And if you're anything like me, you'll be sitting at home making, oh, she's not a very good singer because she couldn't do that. And her breathing technique's not that fantastic. And, oh, I can't believe the timing was out. And, oh, no, not going to Sydney. That's, that is our generation. We stand in judgment and we give advice, but we don't want to take any. When Simon Cowles of the world start to give you good advice, because often it is, because they're the dude that's rolled up his sleeve and endured the the whatever, people go, oh, Simon, you're so harsh. Maybe that's a bad example. It probably is a bad example, so scratch that. But we live in a world where people don't want to take advice. And we can't be like that. I was going to put a, uh, a, 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 um, a, a, the scripture in John 3. I'm going to read it. Just, just, just uh, stay there. I should have put it up there in... Um, the other day I read, I read it in Afrikaans. There you go. I thought, why not? Let's go for it. So I had a crack at it, and I failed miserably, and then Gali set me straight, and he read it to me in Afrikaans. And I said, well, what is that actually saying in Afrikaans? And the scripture is uh, in John 3, in verse 6, it says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But in Afrikaans, that reads... That which is born human is human. And I kind of like that. It kind of actually put me in there. Oh, born flesh. I don't even really understand what that means. No one uses that word. It doesn't apply to me. Beautiful. I just distanced myself from it. Thank you very much. No. That which is born human is human. And that which is born of God's spirit is God's spirit. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So some of the things we have to endure is this humanistic traits that we have. And some of them are, 
don't accept advice under any condition. It's just a pride of man, which none of us are built not to take advice. But God is saying to us, here's my advice, please take it and do it. Even in the Lord sometimes, as a young man growing up in the Lord, I thought, oh yeah, I can just, I'm going to go out and preach the gospel. Ah, here's my advice to all you sinners. (laughs) It was just a complete wrong attitude. I was there in a position of judgment and giving advice. I'm going to give advice to you sinners over there. Here's some advice for you. And look, it might have been from the word, but my attitude wasn't right. Because I've got to walk it. Actually, so preaching the gospel was actually saying, Sash, take God's advice. Be humble. Be meek in your approach. Be confident, but don't overstate your own your own self and your own your own position. And uh, and there's some wonderful scriptures. I remember seeing. Uh, I remember reading in the in the Gospels for the first time where it says, "When you go into a room, don't go straight to the top seat because you think you're the man." And there was a time <laughs> where I thought I was the man. Where's the best seat in the house, please? That's mine. Where's, I've got the tickets right here. No, the scripture is saying no. When you go somewhere, you wait. You wait to be called up. You wait for the honor to be given to you. Don't go in there demanding things. Be humble when you approach, knowing that God will lift you up in due time. And when he does that, it'll be evident to everybody. And then when you go into that room, they'll go, oh, yeah. Hey, dude, you're up here. It'll be obvious. It'll be easy. It won't be hard. But from a human point of view, we just get that wrong all the time. So the instruction here in Hebrews 13 is love the God, God's advice that he gives you and do it. Get over the advice and just do it. And it makes your life, what does it say? The peaceable fruit of righteousness. Sounds tasty and juicy and luscious, doesn't it? Like a Central Otago peach from 1985 when we used to get them down there. Ah, beautiful. Great stuff. And it helps us to endure. Oh, I'm in trouble. First Peter. First Peter 2. There's another quick thing here that God asks us to endure. First Peter 2. And First Peter 2, First Peter 2, First Peter 2, in verse 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. All the desires that are in our heart, all these human things that are innate in us, they're wired in. The things that catch your eye and want to take you away. He says, abstain from it. It goes on, having your conversation or your conduct or the way you live your life or your testimony honest among the Gentiles, those that are without the Lord, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, be, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So in other words, they might still try and make it out like you're doing the wrong thing. You didn't come to drinks on Friday. You're a bad social person. That's a real one, kids, by the way. You'll get that. It's coming your way. You're not a team player because you're not drinking with the rest of us. 
It happens all the time in my workplace. And so on, there's other things. Oh, you're bad because you're good. <laughs> Whoa. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every, every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now what the notion here is, is because the Lord is working with you, doesn't make you above the law. Doesn't make you above the law. Where, wherefore it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of a foolish man. So what this is saying to us is that our fleshly desires will sometimes cause us to skew life in a way that benefits us naturally. Oh, I could pay tax here or I might not. I might declare this income, but I might not. But everyone else is doing it. Could be a whole range of things in life. That's just one example that popped into my head. But there's lots of things in life where no one does the right thing and everyone knows it's wrong, but it doesn't make it right in the sight of God. And God wants us to do the right thing. He wants us to do the right thing always so that people can see that we're actually serving God and we're taking God's advice, not actually the advice of our governors and rulers and all these people, but we are doing what God has asked us to do in his name. It says, um, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So that's, Paul's just said what I said, but way more eloquently. We do it, we don't try and get away with things because we know better and, ah, oh, we're with the Lord, it's all good. No, we do the right thing. We heard about that lately, isn't it? Integrity, doing the right thing when no one else is watching. Trouble is, God is always watching. goes on and says, do I want to read that? Yes, I do. It says, honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. Nice and simple. It talks there about, yep, we'll read it. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Your boss at work, do the right thing. Yeah, they might be actually using you. They might be setting you up, but just do the right thing. It says, not only to good and gentle, but also to the froward, even to the ones that are actually, you know, haven't got a good reputation and are doing the wrong thing. Just do the right thing by the Lord. It says, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. Really tough concept for us because it goes right against our humanistic features. But it's unjust. It's not right. I'm losing out here. Again, in my vernacular, God is saying, suck it up, buttercup. Get over it. Do the right thing. And we all have these opportunities. In Titus, it says, 
not purloining. <laughs> it's such a good little word. It means not taking things of small value. But everyone's taking the pens and the rulers and the A4 pads and the calculators home from work stationary cupboard. <laughs> it's that kind of notion. Oh, we don't, we'll just do the wrong. Yeah, it's wrong, but it's, it's not really stealing. It's not really a lie. That sort of stuff. God says, just cut some of that stuff out. Because it comes from a place which will actually lead us actually into our fleshly desires. So Paul, or Peter, sorry, is writing here and saying, yeah, don't, don't get involved in that. And then he goes, for even hereunto were ye called. We're called to do this? Hey, to do the right thing? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Yeah, sometimes it's a hard thing to endure a good testimony and we just have to actually just really push through and do the right thing. But God is watching and he will openly reward us, he tells us, because he sees everything. Uh, really, and it's those evil desires and passions of the flesh that start in some of these small things and lead us into a position of disbelief. Um, yes. Um, Second Timothy. Boom, 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 boom. Just back a few pages. Second Tim. Where are we? Second Tim 4, Second Tim 4, and verse 3. Here's something else about endurance. Um, uh, I'll get through it. Verse 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So flip that on its head. The Lord is asking us to endure good teaching, taking good advice. It says, But after their own lusts, so they heap themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So it's kind of taking the example that we just read in Peter and saying, yeah, when we allow our fleshly little humanistic traits to kind of dominate in our life, it leads to a position where we don't accept good teaching. We get to a point where we go, I don't believe that. That's a real dangerous space to get in. I don't believe that, comma, anymore. Full stop. It's a real place you don't want to get yourself into. So enduring sound doctrine. I guess there's some principles there. Understand what good doctrine is. Understand it. Study it. The Bible tells us to do that. Be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. That hope that lies within you is sound doctrine. Is good teaching from God. We want to be the ones that continue to endure with sound doctrine teaching because the world is saying now it's out of date. It doesn't fit with society anymore. The teaching, ah, it was good back then, but not now. We've got to endure that. We've got to stick with it. No, that's not right because God says so. It goes on and says five. uh, Yeah, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. And he's most likely referencing here, referencing afflictions based on the keeping of good doctrine. Not just a sprained toe. He's, it's talking about sound doctrine here, good teaching. The biggest war the church of God faces today is people who don't want to listen to God's advice. And they want to make it up for themselves. 
And we fight against that. We know that. We know that. So we don't want to turn that fight into something that we're actually battling internally as well. We want to make sure we've got that squared, squared away. Praise the Lord. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your service. Ministry means service. Yes. James 5. A couple more scriptures. James 5. James 5, James 5, James 5, James. You know where I'm going. You know where it's coming. James 5, 10. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. And you just start to think, yeah, we've got some good examples of people who have endured. Job. Wow, you just get you just you're flabbergasted when you read what he endured. Wow. And then he had the poorest advice ever from his mates. <laughs> he had to endure that rubbish too. But his end was better than his beginning because he endured with God. He never cursed him, took on God's advice. You think about Habakkuk. I know you all go home and go, Hab, he's one of my faves. Brilliant. He was around at the time of the Babylonians. And all of a sudden they come charging in and start dealing to the people of, uh, of Judah. Starts to deal with them. And he goes, this isn't fair. We are God's people. Why are they coming against us? This, isn't, this is not just. And then we know his end. He says, though the fig tree does not blossom and all these other things fail, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. His statement was, I will take God's advice no matter what. And it goes on. Jonah, you can, you can list off the other prophets as well. They gave us an example of endurance. Um, it says in verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. For those that take God's advice, there is mercy. There is peace. There is godly love. Those things are evident. And so when those things are borne out through your endurance, it's evident in your life. It's really interesting. We had a the testimony of our sister Susan. Now, her life on paper is a train wreck. But she's the happiest, one of the happiest people I know. Why? Because she's enduring. The peaceable fruit of God's righteousness is in her life. So find the people that are happy in the Lord and go and ask them what they've had to endure. Find out what, what, what they did, and I'll guarantee you what their advice was, is. Do what God says. Love him and do what he says and you will live a happy life no matter what. Let's finish uh, in uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6. We got to the end here before in verse... Uh, where am I? Uh, in verse... Six. It says, For I am now ready 
to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. What a wonderful mantra. I was talking with my lovely wife the other day, and I was, and I, um, yeah, she's had some good feedback from work lately, and I was like, wow, what do I want to be known as? What, I, what do I want people to say when they see me? When they think about me, what, what, what do I want them to say? Oh, one of the best sportsmen I've ever seen. They're probably not going to say that ever. You know, oh, the smartest guy ever. Funny, oh, he's a cracker. And I thought, no, nah, they're not the things that I want to be known for. The other half of the Ella and Sasha duet? <laughs> no, I don't want to be known as that. I'm a headline act on my own. <laughs> I want to be known as being consistent for the Lord. That I didn't come in here one day and I was all up and all over the place and wasn't sure of my belief. And came in one day and I was, yeah, I'm all sure of it. I just wanted to, I thought, yeah, I just want to be consistent. Because we all know the story of the tortoise and the hare. And the hare was Mr. Inconsistent. And the Lord's asking us to endure. And endurance requires a level of consistency. And what Paul is saying here to his young counterpart, Timothy, is I've been consistent in my life. I've had my opportunities not to do what God has called me to do. And I got rid of them. Because I know what my goal is. Through this endurance, I will be saved. Have any of us now become an overcomer? The answer is yes and no. But none of us at the moment, while we're still here breathing, have overcome. There might be a time where we might fall asleep in the Lord and hallelujah. That's why we rejoice so much and how precious uh, the death of the saints is in the sight of the Lord, because they've finished and they've overcome. But we are still doing that. That's still a process for us. So let us continue to endure and fight the good fight in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, with the people that we love and the people that we don't love. Let's continue to endure Because in our endurance, we will have our salvation. If we give up, we lose everything. Let's continue to endure, take the advice of the Lord, perform it, and uh, we will be there when Jesus Christ returns for us. Amen. Amen.